This podcast is produced by Clarence Valley Community Church. If you benefit from our ministry and you would like to support us, details can be found at our website, cvcc.com.au. There you can also find out more details about our church. James 1, and I wanted to go from 16 to 21, but I don't know if I'll get there today. We might just get to 18, but we'll see. I just wanted to quickly do a, a sum up of, of our last session because it, it'll, make, it'll make sense of what's going on before us here. When you are tempted to sin, when you're, when you're thinking about something and it's not a thought that is of Christ, is that of what Christ would do, but it's something that you want to do that is ungodly, you are being tempted. And it is not God who has put you in that situation to be tempted. Temptation comes from us. Temptation comes from the leading and working of Satan. But James is stressing temptation and evil never, ever come from God. And he's building up to a really big point. Because it would be no, there'd be no reason to serve God and fall into a trusting relationship with God if we felt there was some ill will between he and us, or some ill in him. How could we do that? What sort of relationship would that be? Now, honestly, we here compromise probably daily with the relationships we have on this earth. Like, you, if you've been around long enough, you're going to get slighted by people. Even, it probably comes worse from dear and close friends or, or family members. You are just going to be slighted. That's an unfortunate part of our reality. But it's easy to then transmit that type of heart to God and say, well, maybe God's like us. Maybe just as I can be offended and upset and hurt by this person, maybe God's like that too. And James is stressing, no, he's not. He is good continually. So if you are being tempted, you are being dragged away by your own evil desires. This is uh, from James chapter 1, 13 to 15. Um, I'm just in 14 at the moment. You are being dragged away by your own evil desires and sin when it is fully grown, when you fully give yourself over to sin, it will birth death in verse 15. So that's where we left. It's pretty heavy. This is serious stuff. This is where we are today. I'll just read 16 to 18. Do not be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Isn't that beautiful? All that sin, all that temptation, that's over there. God and his relationship with you is over here, polar opposites. It'd be like a spring of pure mountain water. It's only purity, goodness. It strengthens us. And this is what flows from God continually day in, day out. A real cheap way that the enemy can take a hold of your life is when you don't understand the goodness of God when you've somehow been manipulated to thinking that maybe God doesn't have my best intention. He says he loves me like a son or daughter, but maybe that's not true. 
I mean, right there, where does your relationship with God go? It, it, you, are, you are on a road to destruction when that occurs. And it is, it is the primary way in which the enemy tries to get us off the path, take us away from an abiding love in God. Do we remember Satan in the garden? What did he say to Eve? Did God really say that? Maybe, maybe do eat from the fruit because God is withholding some goodness from you. Isn't, isn't that always been the way? The one thing I really get annoyed about as well is Satan's there before Jesus as Jesus is being tempted out in the wilderness and he's pretending to be a good guy. He's pretending like, Jesus, you, know, you bow down to me. I'll give you the kingdoms of the earth. Why don't you turn that rock into bread? Why not jump off because your father, the angels will save you. The father will send angels to save you, pretending to be a good guy. But then the next time we see Satan, what's he doing? Entering into Judas to kill Jesus, to see that betrayal go through. Now, Jesus could have said, yeah, you're right. The kingdoms of the world, that sounds pretty good. I don't know if any of us have been offered such glory, such riches in our lives. Jesus was smart enough to continue to love his father, serve and honor him and bow down to him alone. But um, Satan will try and say, well, God's withholding from you. I can give you the kingdoms of the world. What's God ever done? Luckily for us, Jesus is not so easily swayed, nor should we be. Today, more than ever, the Spirit of God needs God's children to see the difference between God's character and the character of evil, and not interlace and intermingle the two. People go through tough times. We live in a corrupted world that is swimming in sin, and it has its impact upon us. That's, that's just being truthful. It is, it is really hard for us to break to, to separate this in our minds. And the reason I'm, I'm stressing this point is because if James has written this here about not being deceived, what does that actually mean of this, this problem in the church? It means we can be deceived. We can be deceived. All here have seen and felt evil brutality. That, it, that this is in the world and it may have even at another time, been in us. We've given over to the evil in this world. We've broken God's law. We've been unloving when we knew we should have been loving. We fall, but James today is trying to pick you back up. This is the point of the, this is the point of the service. You imagine a people who are there, they are being deceived. They are feeling like God is maybe not as good as they've been taught. And James is saying, let's get back on with the job. Let's get back to serving God with a pure and whole heart. But how impossible would that be if we felt that God was not good continually? How could a child grow into the, any depth of love with their father if in the background that child felt that their father did not have good intention for them? It's something he's withholding. There's some malice, some wickedness in him. What's that going to do to the relationship? That child will never be able to give themselves over to their father. And how ripped off 
would the father be if he wasn't like that? How sad would that be? That child misses out and it's all on them. Some genuinely wrestle with this. That's why James has written it. And so I'm not, I don't want to discount that. I want to say, well, the problem's in you. You, You've just got to start seeing that God is good and get on with the job. Because I don't think that's how James is approaching people who are struggling in this way. I personally know of people who struggle to see God's goodness in the midst of an evil and perverse generation. I get it myself. But what does he do? James is getting alongside these people. And why why am I talking like this now? Because it's not the pastor's role primarily to get alongside and love people, to get alongside and show people that God is good. People are going to have to see that from each one of us. Maybe it's you that God is going to use to stand beside someone at the, at the depth of their pain and suffering when they feel like they just can't carry on and God's not helping me and It may be you that has to stand beside that. Are you ready to love them as James is loving these? How does he say it? How does he say it? Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. That's not not normal language for this time frame. You don't don't normally over and abound the love. You know what I mean? It's a pretty pretty harsh time in our history. But Christians often spoke like this to one another. And he's speaking to these people as though they were his own children, his own flock, his own heart. So how could we expect to move forward in our walk with God if we don't fight to resolve it? This is the challenge that James is giving. Okay, you may feel that way, but wrestle with it. Seek God on it. Seek his people on it. Press in. Is God, is God going, has God ever in history come up short in one of his children's lives? I can guarantee you he hasn't. He hasn't in the whole history of scripture and he hasn't in my life, he hasn't in yours. Remember, the evil that happens, the sin that occurs around you, to you and in you, that's of the world. That's the broken mess that we're in at the moment. But God is faithful, ever faithful. He knows nothing else. And that's the heart we need to have towards those who are suffering or even to us here and now who are just having a tough time of it. Wrestle and contend to fight for this relationship with God. Fight for this relationship with God. Does it mean good things will always happen? Once I get it, once I see that God is ever good, then my life will become easy. I can buy the yacht that I wanted to buy. I might get the big house. What else do we want? We want a Maserati for Jack. Um, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of desires. A lot of desire. No. Because remember, this book started with talking about trials, many trials of various kinds, and to count that all joy. But Dan, you said that, like, if I see that God is good, maybe good things will just happen continually to me. I wanted to give a bit of an example here. Um, We just had Easter, and apparently kids get lots and lots of chocolate over Easter. Some parents went overboard 
and their kids are just spoiled, rotten. Whoever has ever seen those kilo eggs? I've had that once before. It's amazing. But what I'm saying is this. You imagine if a parent just said, whatever makes you happy, little one. Oh, you want chocolate? You don't want to eat chocolate for breakfast, lunch, and dinner? See, the parenting here, you're starting to think, okay, the teeth will rot first, then the liver, um, then the, you know, there's internal problem. Like, you know what I mean? But, but what about this? How cruel of this parent to feed you nutritious food? How cruel of this parent to put you on a treadmill? Oh, it makes me hot and I sweat and I don't like it. You know what I mean? Like, what is God's purpose in your life? It is to make you godly. It is to make you more like him. But again, we have this maybe hedonistic view of what God might give us or how he is. And it, and it totally corrupts. And, and I'm, I'm sorry to say, but many churches preach that. Give to God and he'll give to you in, in a sense to, to feed your flesh, not, not to give you more abundance so that then you'll be able to bless more people. You know what I mean? Like the way that we should be when God gives us it's anything, it's a gift, it should be used for his purposes. But unfortunately, especially in these types of countries that we live in, there's this me mindset, this hedonistic mindset of, I just want to be comfortable. And I got really challenged last week, a brother in Christ up in McLean, he said, you know, this pastor told me, he said, if you're feeling really comfortable, it's probably because you're not on the path that God wants you to walk. And I was like, oh, I never looked at it like that. Like if I am just coasting through life, um, maybe it's because I'm not doing what God has called me to do. Maybe, not always. That's, something, that's between you and God. Everybody's been given a different, different walk. It's not something that we look up or down on others at. But it's, it's interesting because the world is rushing to give Band-Aid solutions to big problems. You'll, you'll feel good if you take this. You'll feel good if you do that. You'll feel good if you buy this. Absolute rubbish. Give your life unbridledly to God. And what does Jesus promise us? Joy joy the lord has at his disposal countless ways to grow our endurance our selflessness you know what you know what it takes to be selfless it takes a lot of work on god's behalf to make you selfless we're born selfish we're born with desires we're born with what's mine and me and i and god's gonna humble you Humility comes through even discipline. He promises in Hebrews he will discipline those he loves. But it is always motivated, hear me, it is always motivated by love and for your best. None of it is wasted. Now, when that trial begins to make you feel like you want to cut corners, you want to cheat, you want to sin to get out of it, remember, that's the switch. That's now you and sin but the trial itself we can count as all joy because that's God who loves us and who is growing us and conforming us to the image of Christ. Like that little child, we don't want to have chocolate all over our faces and get sick. We want to be healthy. Now, trials over here and temptation over there, they fall in their proper places 
and the real work of godliness can begin. And this is where James is going. Like, I can't get to actually telling you how to live and telling you to be obedient until you can totally surrender to the goodness of God, that you know that all he ever has towards you is good continually. And then when you come from that place, that's where real godliness can begin to grow in your life. Paul puts it like this. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. This is being on that road of suffering, wasting away. Yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory far outweighing them all. That's amazing. Even even in your struggles, God is going to use it to produce an eternal weight of glory that you yet can't see. It's coming. Uh, it's sort of like what we said about praying. You know, if we, you run out onto the street corner and you pray so that everybody can see you and you're such a holy woman, such a holy man, and you, you live that sort of highfalutin flowing robe life. And what does Jesus say? You got your reward. You got your reward. But as for us, we don't want our reward in this life. What do we want to hear when we walk through the gates of heaven? Good and faithful servant, enter into your master's rest. We want the Lord to honor us, the Lord to love us. And, and even some of you cringe when, when I say that, like we want you know, the, the Lord to be pleased and honored with you and your work. But literally, that's, that's one of the motivations for a Christian. I want to lay down before my king my life's effort because it was for him, not me. I wasn't trying to attain glory for myself. I wasn't trying to accumulate wealth for myself. But Lord, my heart was ever on you and my service to you. Might look like a hard life if you do that. Might be filled with trials and tribulation. But God is no man's debtor. Now, I wanted to explain then, what is sin? Because, like, is sin a force that is, that is coming up against God? This is important, because if we don't understand the, it's called the ontology of sin, if we don't understand what sin is, we might be confused with how good God is. And so, a way to put it is, and, and this is what came to me the other week, someone said, oh, it's like yin and yang. It's rubbish. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not condoning this at all. The opposite. You know, in, in good, there's a little bit of evil. In evil, there's a little bit of good. And it's like, that is so far wrong. But what that mindset does, and for many who are, who, who are on that road of spiritualism, what they're saying is there's this prevailing force of evil that is fighting against God, who is good, and, and to challenge. And, and some even go as far as to say that this has always been the case, that there's always been this equal force of evil against this equal force of good and they're at war with one another as though God is some type of servant or slave or needs to needs to war it all against anything that is not what the power of sin and evil is in this world the best way it's been described to me is the the hole in the middle of a donut I know it sounds weird the hole in the middle of a donut you 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 would say there is a hole in the middle of a donut I would say no there's nothing there there's nothing there Oh, but it is. It's, it's the middle of the donut. No, it's just air. It's, it's nothing. So what is it? What's well, a lack of donut being there? 
This is all sin and evil is. It's just a lack of God's presence and power in a situation. What did the curse do to us? It stripped us of our relationship with God. Remember, God is walking through the cool of the day with Adam and Eve. He's, he's, in, he's in perfect relationship with them until they fall. And what does he do? He, he steps back a bit. Now, when you sin, what is that? Well, it's, it's a lack of, of putting God first. It's, so it's a lack of God in that situation. Maybe a better way to put it is, what is ungodliness? What's well, a lack of godliness? What is unholiness? Oh, it is a lack of holiness. And you see, sin always tries a way to, to take even what God has as good and twist it and manipulate it. And I'll give you an example. A husband may say, yes, I love my mistress, and love comes from God. Love comes from God, but God's love is what? Faithful. Not like that love. Another might say, well, I'm faithful to my false gods. But God's faithfulness is also truth. You see how the enemy can twist it or we can apply something good that God's put in our heart and then totally abuse it. And it's because there's a lack of God in that situation. Right, I'll give you one more example. I truthfully slandered my friend. I said a true thing about them and just said it to somebody else and it put them down and crushed them. Well, God's truth is not self-seeking. It puts another before itself. It is holy. And holiness is a neat way to sum up the perfections of God. He doesn't try for it or reach to obtain it. Instead, holiness flows perfectly through God. And when there is a lack of that, sin abounds. God is not the author of sin. God does not touch sin. Sin does not stand before him and will not be there in the resurrection, in the new age. But, while we are here, there is lack of God all around us. And honestly, at times in us we fail. And we don't attribute it to God, I hope. And this is the point James is making. But remember, sin is not a substance. It doesn't have its own being. It is a lack of God. But what, what is going to happen when Christ returns? He is going to be all in all. He is going to fill all places, every skerrick of the entire creation. The glory of Christ will fill. There will be no more room. All sin, all evil will be judged on the back of whoever has sinned or Christ will take it out of his loving mercy. But until then, it's messy. It's messy. Paul gives an excellent illustration of himself uh, who was being trained by these fires of trial. So he's walking through a sinful world, but he's remaining steadfast. He's remaining holy. And in Philippians 4, 12 to 13, he says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learnt the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him, 
who gives me strength. That is a man who trusts God's goodness. That is a man who knows that God has goodness towards him continually. And no matter where the chips fall, he is going to remain steadfast with, with plenty, with nothing. He will be satisfied because he is satisfied in the Lord. That's where he finds his satisfaction. Every good and perfect gift. This is our next verse. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. God is light. He knows no other. I wanted to just read this from Revelation 21, 23. This absolutely blows me away. Like as I was, as I was reading this, that he is the father of lights. He doesn't shift. There's no shadow. Revelation 21, 23. This is talking about when we're together with the Lamb of God. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. That's our God. Unlike your relationships, God doesn't change. Unlike the moon and the stars, these, these shifting lights, the sun that's whirling around, God doesn't change. He is holiness and goodness continually, purely fl fl flowing from him, and he knows no other way. Yes, darkness has been given a season, but that season is going to be drawn out and taken hold of by Christ in his return. We rest assured we endure trial and life's pressures with our unchanging father who only ever has good intention towards us. How might this impact your walk with God once you see him like this? What's it going to look like when you leave this building today and you see that God only ever has good continually to you? He never changes. He never shifts. And even if he needs to discipline you, even if he needs to discipline you, what heart does he have while he's doing it? Is it to get you back? Is it to slight you? Is it to just punish you for punishment's sake? Is that what we see here in our Father, absolutely not. Even that will be used in order to give you an eternal weight of glory that you can't yet comprehend. None of us are getting to heaven and feeling like we got ripped off for what we had to give over to the Lord in this life. None of us are going to feel ripped off. And when we are confident in the Lord, then we are confident to be self-sacrificial. We are confident to live holy lives. We are confident to stand out when the world tells you to be a certain way, but you will hold fast to Christ. As for me and my family, we serve the Lord. And that day's coming where that's going to put you under pressure. And so verse 18 all that beautiful, wonderful, wonderful blessing that God is and that he gives, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. What does that mean? He gave us birth. Other translations say he brought you forth. The literal metaphor there is being born being born of a woman. Well, Jesus talks about this in John chapter 3 when he says that you will be born again. 
You'll be cleansed by the waters and you'll be born of spirit. It's a spiritual birth. But what does it mean of first fruits of what he created? So we've been born, we've been given spiritual life now. See, where there was death, where there was disconnect, where there was only sin ever continually, God has brought you forth into a relationship with him and now you are a type of first fruits. And I want to explain to you what that means. It's the first fruit of the coming age. Like God is giving you right now a taste of the coming age. Why? Because you have the spirit of the living God dwelling in you right now. It started at resurrection. Jesus rose again, and now that resurrection life is propagating itself, like Jesus said it would, throughout this whole earth, and we are participants in this new life. Not only that, we participate in getting that life out there to others who don't yet know Christ. Go to the prisons, and God can save them. Go to the orphanage, God can save them. Go to the drug den, God can save them. Go to the business world. God can save them. And James is just looking at these people. He's saying, right, now that you trust God is good, realize that you're born again. Realize that you have the spirit of the living God dwelling in you. And we have to, I want to read it again, because if you miss this, this is so incredible. If you miss this verse, you turn it into legalism when you go further on in James. When he's talking about justification, faith and works and the relationship between those things. I'm talking, I'm talking theologians and scholars throughout history. Even Martin Luther said himself, we need to burn James because it's the book of straw. Because he couldn't reconcile it. But I'm just going to do it here for you guys now. Now, mind you, I've had 500 years on that guy. So we've, we've had time to, to meditate on this stuff. So no one's better than anybody else. But I'm just going to read it carefully again. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth. And he's speaking in the active to these people, not not blasé out there and airy-fairy, but he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. All he created, we already created, but the new heavens and the new earth. Now, this is where it gets tricky because then he starts talking about faith and works and that if you don't have works, then your faith is dead. And then people put the cart before the horse and they say, must have works. And don't do this. This is not what to, if you're listening on the record, faith first, oh, sorry, works first. And then that's what shows my faith. But it's, that's completely wrong because what has he said here? You've already been brought forth. You've already been born. Now we can go on to speak about faith and works and how those things align with each other. Because what you're going to find as Christians, if you've been around long enough, is that there are a few, not many, I hope, few false Christians, false converts. And James is speaking into that of those who believe that it is by their works. Well, sorry, that's um, it's, it's by their faith. Sorry, he, his point is by their faith alone they're saved. And you go, hang on, it is by faith alone. Yeah, it is if you've been born again. But if I say to you now, it's by faith I'm saved and I go out and I do whatever I want and I live as I please because it's by faith you're saved and the righteous will live by faith. You would think, no, you're, there's something wrong there. 
there's a disconnect. And so that's what, that's what James is speaking into. What Paul speaks into is the other way around, and that is people who are putting, putting their works on display and saying, that's what saves me. And so if you've been brought forth by the word already, then what's going to happen? You're going to live a life as these first fruits that are going to abound in godliness, selflessness, a sacrificial life. See how it all flows together, but it flows through the new birth. But interestingly, you miss verse 18 in chapter 1. It corrupts the rest of James so much so that many great men have, have thought that this book is really tough to understand, but it's not. And so we know that the righteous live by faith because they have been born again. Paul and James are not at odds, but Paul is talking into a different subject matter to James. But I want to I want to explain this to you. I have to. It is hard to explain faith and works. It really is. The reason it's hard for you and and this is this is my experience as well is because when God makes you born again, it just makes sense in you, but you might not be able to explain it. So I liken it to breathing. Like, I probably know 10% of what occurs for me to actually breathe. Like, how, how, how there's, a, there's a barrier between the oxygen and the blood, and, and then that needs to be circulated around, and the diaphragm. Like, I know spherical information on how it works, but I'm using it all the time. And it just doesn't stop for a while yet. But I know enough about breathing... Just as God has given us enough to understand the mystery of being born of water and spirit, he's given us enough of that to walk healthy with him. Because I know enough about breathing that I don't walk into a room where there is no oxygen. You know what I mean? Now, we need to take everything God has given us on the new birth and make sure we're applying it and understanding it. And that's going to be a process for you, as it was for me. But it doesn't mean you're any less because you don't quite understand the whole operation of it. All you know is God is dwelling in me. It's causing me to live different to the way I used to live. I've given my life to Jesus and I want to serve God. Like literally that's, that's where you're at. Praise God you are a Christian. But as we go on in these studies, we're going to learn more and more of, of the description of how it all works because we want to avoid walking into a room full of carbon dioxide. As Christians, we need to know enough to remain safe. And that's where James is coming in and saying, you, sh you say you've got faith? I'll show you my faith by my works because I'm in love with God. Because God has changed me. I am born again. Um, but we're going to get to that. But I just need to stress that. And I'm going to labor the point again when we get to those verses um, so that we don't have an unbalanced view and we see it in the people who, who cannot weigh these things right they say it's all faith and i can live any way i want and paul didn't even agree with this he didn't say have faith and here's your license to sin that's that one side and then the other side is it's all works and god is judging us on performance and so i must perform and by that i will be accepted and ooh, both of those are horrible relationships and neither Neither are of the new birth. They stench, or they have that stench of the world. Uh, but we'll get there. But until then, let's, let's pray and finish up. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that, Lord, we, we do have 
uh, many people who have gone on ahead of us, who have helped us to interpret your word, Lord. And I thank you for, for each of us who have come today, Lord, to, to just grow and feed on your word, Father. And I pray that, Lord, it would be more than knowledge. It would be more than, than just a, a, a partial nourishment, but that, Father, we would be filled, Lord. We would continue to grow, Lord. We'd be challenged by your goodness and challenged to give you more of our lives, Lord, because you're good and because you'll never let us down, Father. And so, Lord, we just, we just offer this day up to you, God, and pray that you would sanctify us and continue to minister yourself to us and to these beautiful children. In Jesus' name, amen.